This program deals with devil worship and satanic beliefs. It contains explicit scenes and descriptions of violent crimes and rituals. Americans are asking who attacked our country. Position not Adam, and this guy is created from dirt. And how did the army feel about you being head of the Temple of Seth? And the conspiracy theorists can say what they will. But... I want you to give me power over Adam, and I want you to give me soldiers and minions and all of these things. People have so much gain and have such a material the grotto leader don't remember his name you don't remember the name of a person who involved you in murder should we move on to uh number five i can read that yeah sure um <clears throat> did I, oh, is this, okay wait yeah you read the first one so you be yeah this is mine uh, yeah um, okay peach, <laughs> Got peach, yeah peach yeah. premonitions on November 10th, 2021, asked, Have y'all talked about Morgellons yet? I'm still making my way through the backlog. I know y'all touched on Chronic Lyme. If I remember correctly, the Chronic Lyme community and the Morgellons community have a lot of crossover. Anyway, what's y'all's take? I'm curious. Hmm. Yeah, I think we talked about Morgellons not in the show, but in the, or Morgellons, sorry, uh, not in the show, but in the grotto. Yeah, and I mean, I kind of took the take there, which I would still take now, which is that, like, the dismissiveness of Morgellons, like, is not... I don't credit the dismissiveness of Morgellons. Like, I feel like it's a similar thing to, you know, demonic possession in some ways. There's a lot of overlaps where it's, like, experiential. Like, yeah, you could say, like, the science doesn't suggest that you have a disease or whatever, but, like, Mm -hmm. it's the phenomenal level like you're experiencing this like infestation it's something that is real um and like you know it's sort of a yeah it's Uh, partially like epistemological matter but like it you know same similar stance my stance on on demonic possession or jinn possession Um, yeah i i would lean towards the side of it not being just like in your head or something like that now I don't know. I, I I did some rereading last night trying to see what kind of, you know, noited things have been written about Morgellons because I know that it's been kind of a thing for years that people, you know, some of the people in the sort of Morgellons community um, have made a variety of interesting claims about it. But uh, I noticed that, like, it seems to have... I'm sure there are websites that have been like continuously covering it, but it seems to have really had a heyday kind of in like the 2000s and maybe the early 2010s. There were like a lot of articles being written about it and it seems to have sort of like fallen off the radar a little bit in more recent years, even before COVID. But it is interesting to consider. Like I found one article on uh, Voltaire Net, classic kind of conspiracy website uh, by Hank Albarelli Jr., called Morgellons and the CIA's MK Naomi project. Basic gist of it is that this is some kind of like nanotechnology weapon that 
grew out of the MK Naomi like biological warfare programs. Mm-hmm. And um, that's what I think there's a specific doctor named, God, is it Ed Spencer, I think, who went to Stanford and Yale Medical School and he was a neurologist. And then he became like a very big proponent that basically uh, Morgellons was was real and it was a bioweapon. Yeah. Oh, yeah the, I mean, this Alvarelli, is uh, going on this here. Yeah. yeah. He's an old school conspiracy head yeah author. yeah we read one of his books in the goblin episode oh okay uh, yeah, yeah 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 or yeah i'd read some of his some of his stuff um relative to relative to um jack mulholland i think okay yeah and so like for magellan's like for people who don't know i guess there are a few like telltale sort of symptoms that people feel um one is like the sensation of like bugs crawling under your skin right that's one mm-hmm. that a lot of people report. And the other really... Uh, the fibers. The yes. fibers, like the nanofibers, which sometimes are bluish with like a little gold uh, head on them. I'm looking at a picture that was mm-hmm. reposted from rents.com. The fibers. Yeah, the fibers, yeah. which, you know... The, the nanorobotic sensor with holographic features. That's it. Yep. Uh, no. From Jan Smith's body. Um, yep, she mm-hmm. took it. That is a creepy picture and stuff. Um, yeah. Yes. I, yeah, fluorescent. I mean, it's hard for me to tell what I'm looking at here, honestly. Um, it could be a nanorobotic sensor with holographic features. It could also be, like, any other kind of fabric or fiber but yeah you know i'm not uh, I'll, I'll stay agnostic on on the issue for now yeah um, uh, yeah there i mean there's a lot written here that it's like it connects to the cia's technical services division and the human ecology fund the office of Na- naval intelligence uh, project starbright at fort dietrich uh, lots of uh mm. lots of you know things like experiments on rhesus monkeys Prion diseases, Kuru is brought up. Dr. So Carlton, oh wait, Dr. Carlton Gaidasek. Didn't we bring mm-hmm. him up before? Maybe. He was a top official at Fort Dietrich. Yes, he was. Um, he was a, I think, oh, yeah, he was a pedophile. That's why. Oh, okay. Yeah, All right. yeah, I there think maybe go. we brought All him right. up with Jimmy, maybe. Maybe, yeah. yeah. In 1996, he was charged with child molestation and after being convicted, spent 12 months in prison before entering a self-imposed exile in Europe where he died a decade later. Yeah, he won the Nobel Prize. (laughs) Bless you. Yeah, he won the Nobel Prize in 1976 for work on the transmissibility of Kuru, which, I mean, Kuru came up during Pizzagate Ugh. as yeah. like, a di- that's why Hillary right, kept Right, because that's collapsing. what you get when you eat too many people. Yeah, right? when um, you eat cannibals yeah. can get it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Or they can pass it on, you know, and it's like a prion disease. And yeah, that was like brought up some, it's in the maelstrom of Pizzagate. It was brought up that Hillary Clinton is definitely like Kuru positive and that's why she keeps collapsing. Yes, exactly. Like all the, like, there are lots of pictures of people like, yeah, like, uh, like sort of analyzing them for Kuru symptoms. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yes. exactly. I forget in which context we brought up Gaidasek. Um, but, I forget as well. I don't yeah, even remember. He, he did work yeah. at Fort Dietrich. It says here, yeah, he's a top, a uh, top official. Yes. And he, uh, he worked with a disease, uh, found in sheep known as scrapey. Hmm. Named for its most obvious symptom, intense itching and discomfort that caused the infected animal to scrape against fences and other objects until it had worn away its wool or even its skin. 
right? Ah. Hmm. So if scrape and other prion diseases have been experimentally transferred across species, including the infecting of non-human primates, could humans have also been infected with these diseases or variants thereof? Hmm. All right. So suggesting a link to GMOs here. Okay. Well, wh- or what's the uh, what's the take on the the like sort of pathology of this? Is it like just like it got out and like is in the population, or is it like targeted individual type of thing? Um, I think there's probably kind of theories like, of both, you know, but live there, test. Uh, there are definitely websites. Tests. There are targeted individual websites that I found <laughs> that <laughs> okay, abs- yes. like targetedjustice.com slash morgellons.html. Right. I guess there could be crossover between this because it's like two pe- two groups that are treated as being crazy. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's some crazy. And the rat. Yeah. The picture of the rash and the the weird little blue fibers. Um, Doctor Ed Spencer. You know what the funny thing was? I found. I, I just typed into Google last night, like Ed Spencer, to see if he had done any interviews. And he was on some conspiracy podcast in like 2016. And I just listened to the intro, but he was like telling, you know, his life story and basically how he got anointed. And like of all the things to say, the thing that first like tipped him off that things weren't as they seem in this world was he started researching the like authorship of Shakespeare's plays and oh God, became okay. convinced that Edward DeVere Edward was the Devere. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, and it was like it was clear as day. Like, and then I knew <laughs> I had to start looking more critically at everything. I'm like, oh man, what the fuck! Like, okay, there's a conspiracy. You know, we were asked what conspiracy theories we don't believe in. I have to admit, I'm kind of a Stratfordian. Um, did I say that on the show before? I, I'm Wait, not saying a that Shakespeare. Uh, I I uh, not an Oxfordian. I I I believe like that William Shakespeare of Stratford was like a real guy and like that he probably wrote those plays. Okay. Uh, I believe that too, just know. simply out of spite. Cause the people who talk you like, about, yeah, mold bug, like loves yeah, it. Shut yeah. The fuck up. Like, I don't care. Yeah. And also you can tell that like it kind of like, you know, this has been often a critique of Oxfordianism is that like mold bugs sort of a leanings, uh, obviously inflect, uh, his opinion in that matter. It's like the idea that like, Oh, someone commoner. who, you know, and it's not like he wasn't even like, he wasn't like a total commoner. He was basically yeah. like, you know, equivalent of bourgeois, he like, you know, applied for gentleman status and things like that, you know, like, yeah, like, but he couldn't have, it had to be like, you know, and it's all about like, you know, seeing codes in the plays and things like that, you know, but again, I want to do a Shakespeare episode one day. I'm not really completely out, like, you know, there might be something there. I do think that Shakespeare is sus. There's much sauces around Shakespeare, but I'm not like, uh, convinced by the Oxfordian shit. And I'm kind of like, I mean, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah, a little roll my eyes of the X forty Yeah. Anyway, oh, yeah. you know what? You know what I just I, I had forgotten about this, but um I just was reminded by targetedjustice.com that I believe Joni Mitchell claimed to have more gems. Yeah. Oh yeah, she did. Yeah, she did. Now yeah. she is a, as we know, a lady of the canyon, right? Yes. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. And yeah, no, she says in 2017. It was really uh, like an advocate of more Jalens, as I recall. She um, came out and it talked about it publicly in 2017. Yeah. Yeah. And she really, she disappeared for a long time. Didn't she go live in a cave in like Crete or something like that for a long time? Like she really noped the fuck out of like North America and like being a celebrity and everything. Hmm. Mm-hmm. She says, I have this weird incurable disease that seems like it's from outer space. Fibers in a variety of colors protrude out of my skin like mushrooms after a rainstorm. They cannot you know be what? forensically thing- identified as animal, vegetable, or mineral. Yeah, I was going to say, another thing this reminds me of a lot is the alien implant stuff, right? Oh, yeah. Like, you yeah. pulled this thing out of my neck, 
and it like couldn't be identified as any earthly material, right? That's true, like little um, wires, yeah. Yeah, it is definitely a big mystery. Like, um, uh, I'm reading this article in The Guardian, you know, serious paper. In spring uh, 2005, Randy Wymore, associate professor of pharmacology at Oklahoma State University, stumbled across an article about Morgellons. Reading about the fibers, sufferers believe were the byproduct of some weird parasite, which were dismissed by dermatologists as humdrum environmental detritus, he thought. But this should be easy to figure out. He emailed sufferers requesting samples, then compared them with samples of cotton, nylon, carpets, and curtains. Examining them under the microphone microscope, he got a shock. The sufferers' fibers looked utterly different. He arranged for a fiber analysis at the Tulsa Police Department Forensic Laboratory. Moments into his test, a detective with 28 years' experience in this sort of work murmured, I don't think I've ever seen anything like this. The Morgellons particles didn't match any of the 800 fibers in our database, nor 85,000 known organic compounds. He heated one fiber to 600 degrees Celsius and was astonished to find it didn't burn. Five oh, days yeah, yeah, in, yeah, Wymore concluded thing. there's something real going on here, something we don't understand at all. Yeah, what? Only, they only burn at like an extremely high temperature. It's uh, like, that's like a weird thing. Involvement going on here, perhaps. I don't know, uh, hmm. I'm kind of feeling like you know, I I'm inclined to kind of like not disbelieve Joni. Yeah, I I I I don't disbelieve. I don't disbelieve uh, any more Jalen sufferers. I mean, I guess maybe there's some who I disbelieve, but generally speaking, yeah, I think that it's something that is actually being experienced. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I guess the serious people say that she suffers from not delusional just like a mental parasitosis. Parasitosis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah which are, I guess you. Yeah, it's like when people on meth like feel like there are bugs under their skin. Right, right, right. Yeah, like when you see like bugs crawling under your skin or or, or whatever. It's really, um, it's one of those scary things that it's like being, kind of like being a targeted individual that mm-hmm. like you know that by the nature of it, nobody will believe you. Yeah. I just think it's fucked up that if they can pull these fibers out, somebody must have held on to them somewhere and have them. And the fact that the medical establishment can't, like offer any kind of answers on it is i don't know it's a little odd and though i'm sure there are like a million like serious academic papers about how like yeah well but exactly fibers, this is just one sort of case you know that's not just dilute there's a there's evidence there there's a material thing to like analyze so either you know either you can come up with some kind of explanation for it or it's from aliens or it's some kind of nanotechnology and it does seem to be very, very weird. Yeah. It's just odd to me that if it's all in their head, I mean, it's like, it's easier to believe that like targeted individual gang stalking stuff is kind of all in your head than it is like, Oh, I pulled fibers out of my skin. And like, if you look at mm-hmm. them under a microscope, if I had more gelons, I would like keep all the fibers in a jar or something and like always have them handy to like, show <laughs> that's that, that. Not, yeah i don't I, I don't mean that flippantly but like and maybe they do maybe they do but i i just like to see i didn't look up to see if there's any like videos on youtube of i've just seen still pictures of it are there videos yeah i, I would imagine that there might be but huh, i'm seeing it this is from the lyme disease.org but yeah, another more gentleman's not a delusion. No, I'm looking at Inside Edition. Okay, yeah. we got a video. Why does why this disease causes strange fibers to grow from skin? Okay, no, I mean they here they're showing Inside Edition. Let's see. So this woman, she's pointing. Okay, these Morgellon sufferers are pointing out. Whoa, yeah. No, there's fibers sticking out of their skin. 
<laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, the only question, I guess, is the origin of the fibers. But it seems like in some cases, you know, according to that article. How could people possibly say this is delusional parasitosis when there's fibers sticking out of your skin? Like, that's not delusional. There's fibers. I guess they could say that. Yeah, like, I guess that's true. Like, yeah, is it a parasite? No, but it's still like definitely something in your skin. Like whether even if it's like a mundane thing that's become like lodged in your skin. Or yeah, why put it in a clinical category of like you're like making Crazy, this up, yeah. like you're not perceiving you know, correctly but gaslighting? I'm sure that there's so many cases of, yeah, I'm sure there's so many. And this is like a, a universal problem in medicine, I feel like, where like, uh, you know, you go in and people like the doctor is always wanting to write it off as like, you know, nothing. Right. I feel like that's a general thing. Like there probably have been cases of like recognized like parasites that are like definitely real uh and like not a situation of controversy where like people were just like no you're crazy like mm-hmm. and then they pulled like a 500 foot tapeworm like out of the person or something yeah like i'm sure that that has happened like yeah um, well because i mean i wonder i wonder if there's like a false memory syndrome foundation type group that like laid the groundwork for like if you're well, a serious certainly doctor seeming like a thing you yeah. can't uh like nobody yeah just like today like you can't uh, challenge the consensus on this like serious doctors know that it's like all in your head but why mm-hmm. why would they deny it to this degree I guess also maybe people in the medical establishment like we see this with anything that's considered quote like paranormal or liminal yeah they don't like mm-hmm. things that can't be explained like they just prefer to like not deal with it at all so maybe yeah. that's a lot of it. It's just pure, like, kind of institutional, the institutional conditioning of, like, you, you're the expert. You're serious. You always have an answer. And if you don't have an answer, then there's a problem with the question, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay, this doctor says there are not any known textile, cotton or rayon, none of these. What's more, they don't mm. burn when exposed to high heat. Have you ever done a fiber? Is that, that why more, the same guy? This is a doctor talking. Oh, but is that uh, the same doctor, Randy Wymore? Or I didn't see what his um, name was. But oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, this is from 2008. Mm-hmm. Jeez, ew, wow. Okay, so yeah, I don't know. I'm putting in the category of it's clearly something because I just watched a video mm-hmm. seeing it. Uh, is it from MK Naomi? Is it Fort Dietrich Bioweapon? I don't know, but... Yeah. It seems like something that the serious scientists have not uh, adequately explained and they should get on that and stop, you know, to the extent that they're ignoring it, they should stop. And um, yeah. Let's let's figure it out. But that's the most I that's the most I could say. Mm. You know, justice for Joni. Yeah, this is uh this person suggests that it's a one yeah just as for Joni for sure yeah this is another guardian article um he says uh the author says i meet i met margo a midwife from ramsgate who's resorted to bathing and bleach to rid herself of more gelins she describes how armed with times three magnification spectacles a magnifying glass and a knit comb she scraped black specks from her hair and face onto sticky labels and took them to a dermatologist uh, i'm a midwife she says uh, i take urine samples and blood specimens so i was taking them a specimen that's what wrecked my life and career. And then he, uh, the author cornered Randy Wymore again. He's a slim man with a charcoal shirt, orange tie, and neatly squared goatee. We have not yet exactly replicated the exact results of the forensics people in Tulsa, he admits. 
So far, the laboratory has found Wymore's various Morgellons fibers to be nylon, cotton, a blonde human hair, a fungal fiber, a rodent hair, and down, most likely for geese or du- from geese or ducks. That's disappointing, I say. He leans his head to one side and smiles. It is, for the most part, disappointing. But there was a bunch of cellulose that didn't make sense on one. And another was unknown. There's a pause. Well, they said it was a big fungal fiber, but they weren't completely convinced. So, seems like there's some, like, again, like, this happens with the alien stuff, too, where it's like, no one can identify it, and then, like, they're like, well, it's glass or something. The -hmm. next day, a nursing practitioner, Dr. Ginger Savely, who claims to have treated more than 500 more gallons patients, leads an informal discussion in the conference room. Around large circular tables sit the dismissed and the angry. I've seen a fiber go into my glasses, says one. I've seen one burrow into a pad, adds another. One of my doctors thinks it's nanotechnology. I was attacked by a swarm of some type of tiny wasps that seem to inject parts of their bodies under my skin. They have bugs on public transport. Never put your suitcase on the floor of a train. A furious one with a big scar on her jaw says, I have Aaron Brockovich's lawyer's number in my purse. Don't you think I'm not going to use it? But who are you going to sue, asks a frail elderly lady at two tables away. The Morgellons believers look expectantly at the indignant litigants. I don't know, she says. In a far corner, a woman with a round plaster covering a dry, pinkly scrubbed cheek weeps. I retire to the lobby to await my allotted chat with Savely. I become aware of commotion at the reception. One of the attendees is complaining loudly. It's disgusting. Bugs in the bed. I've already been in two rooms. When she's gone, I ask the receptionist if over the weekend there has been a surge in complaints about cleanliness. Oh, yeah. She leans forward and whispers conspiratorially. I think it's part of their condition. Yet when we speak, Savely is resolute. These people are not crazy, she insists. They're good, solid people who have been dealt a bad lot. The woman approaches the vending machine besides, behind Savely. Between her hand and the handle of her walking stick is a layer of tissue paper. There is an element of craziness, I suggest. All right, I mean, like, there. okay, there is, she says, but it's understandable. For people to say you're delusional is very anxiety-provoking. Then they get depressed. Who wouldn't? The next stage is usually an obsessive-compulsive thing, paying attention to the body in great detail. But again, I feel this is understandable in the circumstances. I slip back into the conference room where Margot is using her $700 Wi-Fi iPad telescope to examine herself. I have an idea. Can I have a go? Pushing the lens into my palm, I immediately see a fiber. The group around me falls into a hush. Did you clean your hand? Margot asks. She fetches an antibacterial wet wipe. I scrub and try again. I find an even bigger fiber. I wipe for a second time and find another one. Margot looks up at me with wet, sorry eyes. Are you worried? She puts a comforting hand on my arm. Oh, don't be worried, Will. I'm sure you haven't got it. Back in London, I found a 2008 paper on Morgellons in the journal uh, Dermatologic Therapy that describes patients picking at their skin continuously in order to extract an organism, obsessive cleaning rituals, showering often, and individuals going to many physicians such as infectious disease specialists and dermatologists, all behaviors consistent with delusional parasitosis. Wow, for treatment, the others recommend prescribing a benign antiparasitic ointment to build trust and supplementing it with an antipsychotic. After finding fibers on my own hand, I'm fairly satisfied Morgellons is some 21st century genre of OCD spread through the internet, and the fibers are, as Wymore's labs report, particles of everyday miscellaneous stuff, cotton, human hair, rat hair, and so on. There is one element of the condition that's been niggling, though. Both Paul and Greg's Morgellons began with an explosion of itching. Now it's affecting me. The night after my meeting with Paul, I couldn't sleep for itching. I had two showers before bed, another in the morning. All through the convention, I am tormented, driven to senseless scratching. Why is itch so infectious? I contact doctor. This is uh, kind of also looping around to the first question of like the sort of like non 
biological or non-sort of pathogenic like contagion. Mm-hmm. I contacted her and Louise Oaklander, associate professor at Harvard Medical School, and perhaps the only neurologist in the world to specialize in itch. I email her describing Morgellons, pointing out it's probably some form of DOP. But when we speak, she knows all about Morgellons already. In my experience, Morgellons patients are doing the best they can to make sense of symptoms that are real. They're suffering from a chronic itch disorder that's undiagnosed. They have been maltreated by the medical establishment. And you are welcome to quote me on that, she adds. In 1987, German researchers found itch wasn't simply the weak form of pain it had always been assumed to be. Rather, they concluded itch. Uh, He goes on about itch a lot. So itch can be triggered suddenly and severely without anything touching the skin. This, Oaklander believes, is what's happening to Morgellons patients. That they have insects on them is a very reasonable conclusion because to them, it feels no different from how it would if there were insects on them. To your brain, it's exactly the same. So you need to look at what's going on with their nerves. Unfortunately, what can happen is a dermatologist fails to find an explanation and jumps to a psychiatric one. Interesting. Mm, interesting. So nerve itch situation. Could be something. That's an interesting theory. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm definitely, you know, like, again, I agree with the principle that, like, yeah, they've been sort of like mistreated and maligned. And, like, it's kind of that same sort of superiority thing we we're talking with Matt Taibbi, where there's like this thrill and being like, you're crazy. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely like a real phenomenon. I don't Here, know. Take like, these uh, antiviral like, pills, actually antipsychotics. Like, you sickos. Are they it. truly? Well, I think that they must tell them, but they do like yeah. give them a fake antiparasitic, you know, so that's kind of deceptive. Placebo. Like, yeah. But they must not be allowed to give you an antipsychotic and not tell you what it is. I would hope. I would hope. I would hope. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, know. yeah, it's it's similar to like this sort of like, yeah, it's a sort of a dismissiveness or like this sort of a epistemological chauvinism or uh, yeah. when it comes to like, you know, allopathic medicine. Um, it's yeah, I, I would still maintain my, uh, you know, gin possession or uh, gin uh, torments. Uh, uh, analogy what if uh, all in, those in people respects, at like, the conference were targeted individuals and he started feeling the symptoms of that because they were like pointing their Morgellons Havana syndrome guns at like the entire conference that so, like, yeah that would be like the explanation for like why you got COVID at the gym because like you got like walked into the path of like the COVID bioweapon uh that wasn't based on viruses but based on some other kind of like ray <laughs> or something <laughs> Uh, and so it might have appeared that you got it from someone else who had covid but it's just because like you were both in the path of like the bioweapon the directed energy weapon of some kind yeah but i do think it's interesting how like they're like yeah you know laughter is contagious like feelings can be contagious you know like uh, so i think that aspect of like contagion is interesting like in some respects and i think that yeah like as i said that is an aspect of how like diseases manifest and behave so it's like you know, yeah, if we're being tormented by, like, are, like, are these, like, let's say, like, you know, like, uh, leaving the issue of, like, the nanotech fibers or the, like, alien fibers or the, like, benign fibers aside, like, let's say it's, like, an epiphenomenon that's, like, not really, you know, the cause or, like, something, um, leaving the fiber issue out, like, you know, can you really say that, like, it's not real like or it's not yeah you know like that the the bugs that are tormenting them are not real bugs or yeah i don't know yeah. i just just I from that video i watched like that i like whatever they said about like oh that was a cotton fiber and a rodent hair and all these other things like that's not what it looked like when they were pulling those fibers out on video those fibers looked like something else like they were not easily it's not like 
you can only see them if you look under like a microscope thing and then you can find whatever you're looking for. It's like, now these things are like visible to the naked eye and they're weird, you know? Yeah, so I don't know. So it definitely seems like the, it, it's yeah. real to some extent. Like it's just, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can, I, well, yeah, I mean, I, 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 yeah, it definitely is real to some extent. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not going to like weigh in on what the fibers like are. Cause I do know that there's like, there's like fibers all fucking around, you know, like, mm. uh, and weird shit. So, but maybe in some cases it is like, you know, like, uh, you know, maybe, maybe in some cases it's, it's, you know, benign fibers or ordinary fibers and maybe in some it's different, you know, m- sure. not all people who have like, cause it's not an official diagnosis. Like not all people who have more gelins may have really the same thing. Um, and the pathology of like the fibers is kind of like ad hoc. And like, you know, if you talk to other people who like are treated as crazy in this way, then they're going to say, oh, you must have the fibers. And some might just like, you know, be thinking it's like these benign things. And some might have been targeted by a bioweapon that put nano alien tech in their bodies. Yeah. Uh, uh, a lot we don't know. A swarm of wasps descended upon them and injected them with with these. Yeah. 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 Definitely a swarm of wasps and like the, the planners at Fort Detrich in the 1960s. Yeah. Swarm of wasps um, did depend, descend upon us all in a certain type of way. Um, oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. That type of wasp. You as know, well. fire wasps. On. And just like that, a weird mosquito just flies right in from my wow, face. Wow. There like, you go. The you, they December. heard you talking about it too much. Yeah. Well, yeah. Are we going to start itching now that we've talked about this too much? I am. I, I hope not. Itchy. I hope not. Uh, Yeah. 
video of like the spookiest inside edition stories ever uh the first one is uh about the beast of bray road uh the you know the oh my God. dog man no nah. right? yeah. <laughs> wow that algorithm knows you yeah damn all roads lead back to dog man do you want to uh, read featuring linda godfrey r.i.p oh yeah oh yeah i should read it right sorry yeah, never mind yeah. okay what are your stances uh sorry hd case asks what are your stances on firearms <laughs> you know I kind of, I mean, you, Dimitri, you like, I feel like just love guns. Um, I wouldn't say love guns, but I, I have a more positive attitude towards them and I'll explain why, but how do you feel? Um, you know, I mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that I have like such a, I mean, it's complex in a way because I feel like, again, it's like sort of the practicalities of the issue, like within the United States. Like, uh, you know, where we, we live, um, at, like the sort of, uh, I think that the attempt to like control guns or like to like meaningfully restrict access to guns, there's like a constitutional issue and also like a very deep cultural issue. But, you know, this is going to be controversial. This is kind of like how I'm feeling now. Like, you know, I'm not really, this is just how I've been feeling like lately, you know, I feel like I've gone all over the place. So don't like drag me too hard. Cause I'm sure we have some like diehard gun people. And like, you know, I'm not saying that like it's bad to have a gun for protection or whatever. Like if you feel like you're in danger or like, you know, it's your, your hobby or, or whatever, you know, I'm not trying to like judge anybody personal. Like it's not, it's not about that, but I do feel like guns are kind of evil. It's like kind of a cultural sickness. Like there's not really like uh I don't know what the solution to it is, but I do think that, like, I, I can already see, like, the Red Kahina type of, like, argument about this, which is that, like, you're validating psyops of these mass shootings. Although I do think that some of them are not, like, just totally, like, like manufactured. Like, it is a legitimate phenomenon, like, that we have, people you know, shoot the, people. the cultural scaffolding of it is not helpful and, like, is in many ways, like, a... Uh, uh, self-sustaining psyop however like the you know th there definitely is like a phenomenon in american society that has many causes of mass shooting and i do think that like if the guns could like be gone <laughs> that like wouldn't happen but we for whatever reason can't give them up and like i understand that if we were to give them up then it would be giving them to like you know the 
Agenda 21 globalists people, you know, like and yeah. the yeah, the globalists and everything. Like, you know, only the outlaws will have guns and only the government and the tyrants will have them. But yeah, so I mean, I don't know if that's like really a, a, a it's not an actionable political stance. However, like I do feel like it is kind of a I have no affection for them. I feel that they're like, you know, um, I have no fondness for them. I feel that they're like a, a like a, a sickness, like whether they're just wielded by the globalists to like subjugate a population that can't defend itself. Or, like, as a trade-off, like, the population massacres, like, kids every single month, like, uh, like en masse, uh, you know, just so that we can, like, quote-unquote, defend ourselves against the globalists who are already, uh, the, the quote-unquote globalists, you know, against, like, the tyrants who are already, like, totally ruling us and subjugating us um, and immiserating us. Mm-hmm. Is that a is that a you know a significant <laughs> enough take? I don't know. Like I yeah. said, have you have you ever uh, have you ever shot a firearm, caller? Yeah, I have, but like not like you know, uh, re, like you know, not like a not active, like not many times, just a couple okay. of times. Yeah, it doesn't really matter. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm more. No, I know what you mean. There's definitely like a major element of that in American culture, and. I mean, you even see it where, you know, I think we've we've touched on this before that, you know, we do have a shitload of guns in America, um, but other countries have a shitload of guns as well. We seem to really excel at like shooting each other more often. And particularly what's very uniquely American is like the mass shooting kind of phenomenon. Like, sure, it maybe happens occasionally somewhere else, you know, in other countries, but like to a much, much higher degree there. And I think on the one hand, there are like many reasons for that. There's like cultural reasons. Yeah. There's And does any country have as like as many firearms as the US? I just want to ask. I really don't know, but I feel like we have way more than any other country, like just instinctively. Um, I, I feel like there are certain countries that like Canada has a fair amount of guns. Um I think like Switzerland has guns that the culture is like very different. And I think there, I mean, there's countries like, you know, for example, like Iraq or, you know, Afghanistan or something where again, very different context, but like every family might have like an AK 47 or like a rifle, you know, um, and things like that. And, you know, there's a lot of guns maybe in like, you know, the favelas in Brazil. Um, yeah. In Although some, just looking at the estimates now, there's like still a huge gap between the amount of guns the United States has and the amount that Canada has. Yeah, like no, huge. for sure. Like, for sure. You know, we 10 times a... as many plus like a bunch of unregistered, there's like an estimated like three, uh, damn, uh, there's an estimated like 392 million unregistered firearms probably yeah, in the probably. United States. I mean, and an estimated 10 million in Canada. Yep. No, no. And I then mean, the registered, you know, is about the same amount for the United States or even, you know, just a, a little bit fewer. And then in Canada, they have a registered like 36 million. So that's still way more. I mean, Canada is high in terms of guns per capita, but yeah. But I think the, the violence, um, like, I guess it's a long way of saying that I don't think it's strictly dependent on like, the number of guns that are floating no, it's around not. It's not, and um, the number of guns also is partially, like the, like you know, it's a it's a chicken and the egg situation where like there's also cultural elements of the number of guns, like it's not just like you know those guns were just dropped out of nowhere and they caused it like you know, yeah, and a, and a lot of Americans like, had guns for a very long time, 
and there were periods where like there was a lot less gun violence than like there is today and like sure some of that could be accounted to like the, the guns have gotten much better though they've gotten better yeah. but also like i mean the guns we had in the early 20th century are not that different from the guns that we have today in fact there was a period when tommy guns were legal you know automatic like straight up automatic weapons were legal i think until the 30s and you know not that everybody had a tommy gun but and of course there were like there was gangland violence you know uh attached yeah. to all of that but you know your regular like semi-automatic pistols revolvers shotguns um were all around by the early 20th century and so i think there's like some complicated like social things and like the explosion of crime particularly drug related crime like in the 60s 70s and 80s a lot of which was like kind of stoked or maybe like kind of sort of fostered by design, you know, all the Iran Contra like crack epidemic shit in like places like LA. It all, it almost felt like a large, like there, there's so many reports. I think we touched on them way back in like Contra two of these like shady arms dealers, like flooding South Los Angeles in the early 80s, like selling Uzis and, and AKs and shit like that. Like, you know, there's always wherever there's an explosion and, you know, armed conflict and gun violence, there's always an arms dealer, you know, lurking around. And mm -hmm. so I feel like like at least that paradigm was sort of like set in motion in like the inner cities back then and now maybe it's kind of on autopilot and you just have situations like Chicago where people just shoot each other at like uh, kind of astronomical rates compared to even other cities that have like high crime and a lot of poverty and things like that. So, but I don't know how I feel, but at the same time, I personally, I've always been more sympathetic to like part of this is because you're not going to disarm America at this point. Like we're, we're kind of too far down that road so it's almost fanciful sure, yeah. to talk about how exactly, we're going to have yeah. a gun buyback program or something. And it's like, yeah, no, exactly. you're not like, like, and there's people that view it as, as a deep enough political cultural issue that they will see that in like an Alex Jones light and be like, no way. Oh, for sure. Like, yeah. No like any lobby. real, any attempt to take the guns that like would it's actually make a difference would yeah fundamentally not work yeah. and like lead to possibly to like unrest like yeah. serious unrest so even uh, given, and like violence even um given yeah. all the all the horrible uh effects in our sort of like violent society everything we experience because guns are so ubiquitous and they're like easy to get we're not going to get rid of them and so and it is true it's like a cliche but i think it is true that if you completely like disarm the population and you have a hyper militarized police kind of state, you know, apparatus like we do mm -hmm. in the United States, then like basically you're going to have, yeah, like the police are going to be the only ones with weapons. Uh, there's something doesn't sit right with me about that. And, uh, you know, I, I think because we already have it in place, like, I think uh, having restrictions on like fully automatic weapons, things like that, um, or maybe like a hundred round drum clips and things like, yeah, sure. Like we can ban that. I mean, I live in California, so there are a lot of restrictions on the types of firearms that like you can buy. Like you can't, you know, you can't buy like an AR-15 style gun with a pistol grip in California. It has to have like a rifle stock like attachment put on it. And of course you can't have anything higher than uh, 10 rounds in a clip 
for a pistol or a rifle. And of course, you yeah. go right over the border to Nevada. You could buy like huge banana clips and like, like <laughs> or Arizona or something. Yeah, you know. like that's like that gun is like. I mean, again, I think I see both sides of it on one hand, where it's like you know, if it weren't that gun, it would be a different gun. Like, what are its specific characteristics that like really make it like this? But it's so easy to get. It's so effective at what it does. I would yeah. say like even more so than a Tommy gun in terms of like the precision like yeah, yeah like probably the, the accuracy like, like if you the, have a, yeah, the if you have a custom like AR. the comfort and the ease of shooting yeah. you no, know very, like, i've shot an ar they're very easy gun like because i also i mean part of the thing is like and maybe this is cultural or whatever but like i grew up like my dad had guns growing up and he taught me how to shoot like when i was a kid i think the first time i i actually learned to shoot this is funny at the um it's closed now due to like environmental reasons but i uh he would take me to the chapeau gun range in the oakland hills and that is where the sla took patty hearst to teach her how to shoot <laughs> after they kidnapped her uh, interesting okay <laughs> so i learned to shoot in the same range that patty hearst uh learned to shoot and um and like but my dad grew up in like a semi-rural factory town it like back in like the fifties and there, there was just like guns were just like a normal thing back then. Like he ordered guns out of a mail order catalog when he was like 16 and they just like mailed him like a pistol, you know, basically like there's all these surplus weapons <laughs> floating around Damn. and shit. So like he would just kind of, it was like a hobby of his and like, you know, he lived in the same house as his uncle who was a Marine like enlisted in world war two fought at like Guadalcanal and shit fought in some fucked up places, but he was like, he knew how to shoot a gun. So he'd take him out hunting when he was a kid. And so, you know, he learned how to shoot. He and his friends would just go in like the forest in high school. Like he said, farmers used to pay him and his friends to shoot woodchucks with a 30 out six, which is like a big ass like rifle. Like that's like a world war one mm. bolt action. Like it's like the bullets are like this big. And he was like, oh, in retrospect, Sorry, Dad. Um, um, if I'm like, you know, exposing you to criminal liability, but you know, it was like you, you just <laughs> fire off around and be like, I don't really know where that went. <laughs> like it was just like totally <laughs> no, like, but you know, there were no like mass shootings back then. It was weird. So like he, but he's like a very like responsible like gun owner. You know, he's got like a safe and like he was very strict with me when I was a little kid about like you know never point a gun at somebody. Like never always check like you know check the chamber to see if there's a round in it. Like always assume it's loaded, like blah, blah, blah. So like I got a pretty good like education around guns as like, and of course I was like a little boy and I thought they were like, I thought they were dope. They whipped ass, etc. So yeah, by the time I was like a young adult, I, I didn't really have like, I didn't like love guns. I wasn't like obsessed with guns, but I was just like, yeah, they're cool. And, um, and I don't know, like I feel like as the 2010s kind of, you know, uh, kicked off with all of those mass shootings in Sandy Hook. Um, it's like, I remember with some of our friends, like getting in like heated, like debates about, uh, gun control and like maybe our other friends were much more like East coast, like city slicker types that just thought it was like fucking stupid to like have a gun. Like you don't need it. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, that kind of, and I'm just like, well, yeah, but you know, like you're not going to take them all away from people. And, I don't know if I want like yeah, the I government mean, do, to be the only people understand. to have guns and like for the, I don't know, the mass of working people, it, I'm not, you know, not to get any like revolutionary fantasies or whatever, but I don't know if things ever get bad. Like I do believe that 
if the military gets to have guns and the cops get to have guns and right-wing, like, fash lords get to stockpile guns, then I think, like, regular working people uh, should have, like, be uh, allowed well, to have them as well. certainly it shouldn't... There shouldn't be any ban based on political affiliation. And yeah, I do. I mean, again, yeah, so I don't want like, you know, a, oh, you're on an Antifa list. You can't buy a gun or like, oh, you had yeah. a mental health episode eight years ago. And like you got you went to like a mental hospital for like a weekend. Therefore, you're unstable. You can't have a gun. I get it. Although uh, things I like domestic think, violence, I'm a, I'm more OK with. Like yeah. if if you're like a, you know, a girlfriend. Right. Beater, I do think for most people, I will say like they're OK. So I'll say the lib things that I agree with, which are like. On one hand, I do get the the point that, like, yeah, in most cases, if you're owning a gun, I think, like, I'm not going to look up the stats or anything, but I think, like, intuitively, and I feel like probably there's a million lib articles about how this is statistically true, if you own a gun, like, usually, it's much more likely that it will, like, you know, cause you or your loved ones harm in some way yeah, than it I've will, like, that. protect you. I've heard that. Um, but, you I know, think that's, that's also, probably true. Like, think about it. Like, you know. I know, but that that is, like, such a lib way of, like, And it depends like, the on the person. It does depend say. on the person and their situation. Like, and the other lib thing that I will uh, agree with is, yes, it's good to be able to, like, cause difficulty, like, in kind of, like, a guerrilla warfare scenario against the uh, theoretically oppressive government. But, like, you know, I mean, there's already, like, so many guns out there. It's, like, yeah, I don't know, like, the the sort of, yeah, the revolutionary scenario of, like, how are we going to fight back against, like, what, the, like, the U.S. military? Like, well, I don't that's even another, think, like, that's the a, amount of guns I, that I know are that's out a trope there, for like, years. Like, you don't meaningful. think the U.S. military could wipe you out in five seconds? And it's like, well, yes, but no, also... No, it's meaningful, but, you know, like, uh, so, I, I mean, it makes a difference. Like, it makes it more difficult, you know, it gives a fighting chance of, of some kind. So it, it is there, but it's well, it does, like if also, you look at like Afghanistan, yeah. if you look at Iraq, where you basically had people basically with like small arms and like homemade explosives, you know that type of thing, um, yeah, were able to like cause great disruption and damage to like an occupying a state of the art occupying army kind of thing, and like obviously that would be a horrible situation if we ever fell into that. And I think about places like I've just been. Like yes, bit, although um, I think that in the United States, the United States will not give up and leave its occupation of what the United States like or I don't know. It would be a totally different situation to occupying Afghanistan than to occupy. No, I get it. Like, I get it. The it, southern it, U.S. I don't know. It, it, I mean, it's yeah. very and, and you already have people that I feel like even almost irrespective of politics, like there are enough gun owners out there that uh, wouldn't like some militarized force coming like. Yeah, it's it. That's I think we're still a little far off from even sort of contemplating yeah, that. Yeah, but like I actually like a weird, you know, maybe yeah. the more salient thing is uh, that it. This is almost like a question of cultural posturing and like in how you relate to guns because they're they're sort of like an uncomfortable thing that that must be reckoned with one way or another. And I have noticed, like, yeah, in the last decade. I mean, there, there's kind of dueling currents of it, but people that are maybe more on like a socialist left or consider themselves Marxists or something like that, I actually think they're much more likely to be a little more sympathetic to firearms ownership. Yeah, I than don't liberals. ever see any like socialist or Marxist people. Like, I feel like 
well, the discourse anyway always follows the same pattern of being like, I'm the left, like a fascist, like shot an AR today. Like, did you? <laughs> like, it's always the same kind of like memes. And yeah, Not and to honestly, say like, you know, like yeah. whatever, like it, if but, a fascist is going to try to like shoot up like your leftist organization or whatever, like then, you know, it might be good that you have an AR like as well. So sure. But, you know, I'm not saying those people are wrong, but yeah, I, I mean, yeah. I, and then, like, yeah, but there's also, but some also fascists might never come and like, uh, also you know, some like DSA person might like have a schizophrenic break and like shoot it up themselves. Cause like, I don't know, they got psyops. <laughs> The, anyway, they become a Bernie um, Blaster. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. They become well, a Bernie Blaster. Yeah. They get activated. They get their phone call. From, well, I will. You know, I will say also they listen to the code in their favorite podcast. And, yeah, uh, like I would just say is like a general like way of being in the world. I would. Uh, I, I would. I would shake my head a little bit if I saw people who are like I'm a leftist and then like freaking out because somebody like owns guns or something like that on the other hand i'll say that there are like these groups that have popped up over the last like five years like the what is it, like the socialist gun or what is it the socialist rifle association, rifle association? and yeah, like yeah, the yeah. john brown gun club and things like that and yeah. i just i've heard some things here and there i want to say like every single chapter is i also they might be more like anarchists honestly like antifa like direct action type people i like the impulse of that of like hey it's like kind of a social grouping and you're mm. kind of bonding over this activity it's it can, it can yeah. be kind of and if you're gonna have one of those things you definitely should learn how to use it you yeah know? yeah you like passing on safety it, to and you know like, because everything else in yeah. american gun culture is so like right-wing coded like if you go mm -hmm. to buy a gun even in like los angeles it's like you walk in like huge blue lives matter flag on the wall like everyone's yeah. like we respect the veterans in the operators like you know it's just that's and but i so part of me feels like i don't want to cede all that cultural space to just like kind of reactionary conservative like pro-cop type people as like the only ones where it's like considered socially permissible to like own a gun um whereas in like certain leftist spaces even if they don't jump on the lib train they might think it's like th they might get the ick if you say you're a gun owner like that's weird. That's toxic. What do you? Why? Why do you have a gun? You know. And I think that's the kind a of attitude yeah, that I'm like that. not uh -huh. so hot about. Like I think you should mm -hmm. understand that. Hey, you know, and like you know, it's like, it's like yeah, like a, all kinds of people have guns for like different reasons, and I, I think people should be safe with them, etc. But it's not something that's like either going to go away. I, I think people should be vigilant also because like guns are also you know, they could be used to like get you arrested <laughs> basically. So it's something also yes. to just like worry about, especially in California where I like, I've, I don't know how true it is, but it's like in California, like if somebody breaks into your house, like a knife and you like shoot them, like the cops will show up and be like, you're going to jail because you shot somebody. And then like, you have to yeah, sort exactly. it out late where other States would be like, thank you for shooting that person. Like, you know, stand your ground law yeah. in effect. But uh, so or depending on who you shot, you know, if you shot like the upstanding good man who was there to like do a mass shooting on like your DSA chapter or like whatever, <laughs> you know, that's problematic and like you're going to prison. But like if you just like shot, uh, you just stood your ground, then that's fine. You yeah, know, like yeah. I think there's like a certain. Yeah, 
I mean, th- uh, things are also shooting tends to matter in these things sometimes. Yeah. Um, it was interesting also during 2020 with all the riots, because there were certain states where you could open carry guns and like you did see things get a little out of hand and yeah. not necessarily in like a based revolutionary kind of way. Like, uh, like an or you know, an Oregon and Portland, the Chaz, the Chaz, the Chaz incident of like killing when two the, black the based teens. YPG yes. veterans just like triple tapped yeah. like some black. Well, they teenagers. are the true heroes, and they they have done the ultimate training. It all um, comes back to solidarity. Yeah. They got to fire yeah. ten <laughs> ten bullets out of a dragon off in the oh, North God. Syrian desert. So they're yeah. definitely commandos. They're yes, socialist exactly. super soldiers. Well, um, they, they unfortunately they didn't have their iPad. And yeah. Chaz, so they weren't able to strike with surgical precision uh, and accidents <laughs> happened. They didn't have the close, the, the Gorgon stair was above, but they didn't have access to the close air support they relied upon. Um, <laughs> right. So yeah. yeah. So you see shit Oof. like that happen or it's like, you know, some dumbass like Nazis show up or some proud boys show up and they have guns. And then these like edgelord Antifa, even the Kyle Rittenhouse yeah, thing. Or Black Hammer was where like, like a yeah, bunch Black of Hammer. people come and they're like, drop your guns. And they're like, okay. <laughs> Just instantly disarmed, like yeah. Uh, it's and then their guns are like taken. It's just like you know, like it does raise um, the stakes a little bit. And I don't know if we're that we might need some more revolutionary discipline. Uh, if you know you're gonna bring a gun to like the you know yes. the protest and but you really I, I want to pop you know, off. But I do like yeah, I do appreciate the concern, and I certainly you know uh, yeah, it's a similar thing. Like uh, yeah, I, I'm not judging you know any more than I'm judging you for um you know drinking koof juice like on a personal level. Like that's your choice. Like it's not you know I'm not like putting that out there. Like uh, I understand like that people have guns and many people like, use them responsibly and like they're you know it's 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 chill. But like you know, and I definitely understand the seductiveness and like the coolness of guns. Like they are cool. You know? We were all programmed uh, to kill in a certain way by Hollywood. Like, like, yeah, exactly. It's it's interesting <laughs> to talk about why certain things are cool. Like, yeah. but uh, certainly, like insofar as uh, you know, leaving that conversation aside, like guns certainly are cool. There's no question about it. Yeah, we all were programmed to kill, to kill by Hollywood. I would also be and cautious if your generation, the latest generation, even more so, is programmed to kill by the game games, Call of Duty, the FPSs. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, those simulators, exactly. Yeah. And um, yeah, also, I think if you want to identify as like a political radical, like on the internet, I'd say general rule, like I, I, f- I get a little worried whenever I see people like playing with their guns and like showing off their guns like on a Twitch stream or something like that. Uh-huh. There have been some cases um, where certain pe- certain dark cowboys have done that uh, just waving guns around like crazy tom mosher mm-hmm. that's not the type of behavior that i would like necessarily endorse as like a good idea because as a general rule as a general rule but there's exceptions for you know heroes true um, if you're a hero and, like, yeah, you know, yeah yeah this is a
Good one to get in there. Um, this is Strawberry Elephant on November 15. Asked, Genesis Peorage, Suscheck, please. Oh, yeah. We oh, could go yeah. for a long time on this for one. A long... <sighs> Suffice yeah, it to say. Uh, we've, we've mentioned uh, what are Genesis Peorage's pronouns. Let's establish that now. <laughs> like, you know, we're going to try to, you know. It's like kind of like the Ezra Miller thing where it's like, uh, yeah. did you hear about Ezra Miller? It's like, he bit... like abused all these people. And it's like, uh, they, they please? Like, so it's like they. You know like, what, though? You know, Genesis like, Peorage is not. House. Genesis Peorage was pandrogynous. And as we could get it's into. True. It's true. Maybe if we can alternate pronouns and just say like he sometimes, she sometimes. Most of the times, articles maybe they would be okay mix with it that. up. Because. It does say Peorage used gender neutral pronouns on Wikipedia. She used a variety of pronouns throughout her life, including the first person plural. And the neo pronouns, sh- he and h, h slash er. er. Yeah, you, all right. You're looking at the same thing because it's hard for me to explain this verbally. Okay. That's the, yeah. Um, I, all these different articles like use right, different anyway, pronouns. We're not going to get psyoped uh, by Genesis. That basic principle of res- of, res- of uh, interpersonal respect aside, let's like drag Genesis Peorge for being like a Satanist freak. Um, <laughs> Genesis Peorge needs to be dragged for being a Satanist freak, like for yeah. real, like because like I known this for a while. In fact, I think going back to my very first uh, appearance on any podcast, I was just talking talking about this in the grotto the other day about um you know the first time ever was when i called into a uh, porkins policy radio hosted by pierce redman this might have been 2018 right. or 2019 and it was after that uh, daniel buntovnik um series anatomy of a crypto fascist sect uh-huh. had come out and i forget if they had had like joseph that sus lord joseph flatley on or some other people 
but they were right. talking about how like the satanic way. panic yeah. the satanic temple is actually super cool and yeah. then they're also i i, I forget so I, that's what i called in to say is like actually these guys are like <laughs> crypto fash edgelord sickos like they this is not some satanic panic thing. like like i don't know if you, you guys should be giving these guys a pass necessarily and you know like satanism yeah it's just cool and edgy and whatever it was all fun but like there's real right-wing currents to it but the other thing that i think triggered me a little bit is there was also um i think somewhere in that that network of podcasts there was a lot of positive talk that i heard one day about genesis purage and throbbing gristle and uh, psychic tv it might have been on Media Roots or it might have been on Parallax mm-hmm. Views. I intend no shade to anybody. I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of... It seemed like everybody was talking about like Psychic TV and Throbbing Gristle and Genesis Peorage. Like they were just super cool and like kind of cut against the grain and maybe even, you know, like leftist. Like they're kind of, you know, pushing up back against yeah. Reagan and Thatcher and stuff. But then uh, there was some old school like posters on Twitter that had just like posted shit about like Genesis Peorage being super fucking sus that had always stuck in the back of my head. And I went back and like uh, the Bentovnik series goes into it in a couple chapters of like the temple of psychic youth. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh-huh. That uh, uh, Genesis Peorage yeah. created. And not to be used as a temple of blood, despite the conspicuously similar spelling of the of. Yeah, not there, to be but, confused with the neo-Nazi Satanist terrorists that are now running um, around. But uh, yes, yeah, so or maybe to be confused with them, uh, <laughs> yeah. because wasn't she also like process affiliated, like heavily? She was obsessed with the process church. Yeah, exactly. Like she was. She, in fact, I watched a process church. It must have been some funeral house type thing. It was called Sympathy for the Devil. Uh, last night, you can watch it on YouTube, and it's like a very like 2010 era, like cringy, like hagiographic documentary about like the process, but like how they were just mm-hmm. like cool edge lords that, j- and like Doug Masico slash Lucian Greaves is in it and Genesis Peorage oh, awesome. is in it. And just the vibes of Genesis Peorage are so like <laughs> revolting and fucked. Like I, I just get such a bad vibe from like seeing Genesis Peorage like talk about anything. And mm-hmm. it's clear that like by the the circles that she was running around in, in like the 80s and the, these people that were kind of the forerunners to like the industrial music scene, like this is like shit we've talked about before with like Boyd Rice and uh, Nicholas Shrek and like all these like Nazi edgelords basically that, you know, and basically the process church was kind of like started that kind of strain of like esoteric, weird Nazi edgelordism of just like, what if yeah. I wore a t-shirt that just said rape on it? Like, you know, like, oh, <laughs> yes, cool. right. yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and, and, but then the other interesting thing about Genesis Peorge is if you bring Genesis Peorge up to a certain type of person, like a certain type of musician or art world or like or media academic, or academic. Sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, Genesis P. Orange. What a genius. So influential so in formulating influential. cyborg theory or Ugh, whatever. Just uh, what? Just, oh my God, what a genius. And it always kind of like rubbed me the wrong way. Cause I'm like, I think this person's just like a deranged, abusive, like psycho who was obsessed with Nazis and like, 
child rape like ironically of course but then like there was like you know there's like record labels music publications art exhibitions things like that in in like the final years of genesis's life uh because i they she died what in like 2020 i think in the last couple years and it's just, yeah, like you couldn't say, no. it, it's honestly, it, it reminds me a lot of like other people we talked about, like Kenneth Anger, William S. Burroughs, like people that are just like, like especially William S. Burroughs actually, who was a huge influence on and friend and like mentor to Genesis Pure, yeah. by the way. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, they're just so obviously like, I don't know, like I hate to say them, like degenerate sickos. And, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like this weird thing where, yeah, it's like a very strange phenomenon that like deserves like attention. Like I saw someone this related to the the Balenciaga thing recently. I saw someone saying like people like you know just don't get it. Like don't you understand that in the fashion world like it's just considered edgy and like provocative to like you know pretend to be a child molester and it's like all right, well, yeah. uh, sure. Why? Like that's <laughs> fucked up. Yeah. Like you know yeah. like that in like what like even if you're just like pretending yeah. to like abuse children by like creating these like tableaus that suggest it that's psycho it's <laughs> they're like you know evil. it's weird like, like yeah it's depraved yeah and it's like sorry sorry we're tipper gore on the left and like but, you like, know i'm not trying to say they are just pretending necessarily i did find like you know obviously i think that it's like the some of the like the ball space nc space aga like the child porn thing is like case. stupid like, but yeah like that was incredibly sus and like obviously deliberate and like the, you know like yeah, I'm not just saying that they were just like, you know, playing around or trying to be subversive. Even if they were, like, what's your problem? But I'm not necessarily saying that that's the case, I think, you know, but. And this, but anyway, yeah, this is like uh, right, not that long principle. after Epstein, you know, and all this shit. Yeah. And we're doing this in the modeling world. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's just like, I, it just reveals to me, you know, without going full, you know, Pizzagate about it, it reveals to me like the moral depravity that is like basically the audience for Balenciaga, like which is the that sort was of one of the most like cut and dry, like yeah, like there is that that was honestly like worse than any of the original Pizza Gates. There was some stuff like that, you know, like the naked kid pictures, like James Elephantus had or whatever, but that was more on the nose and like more. It don't like yeah. it, it was possibly i think worse than like a lot of the original like pizza gate like symbolism stuff that people were finding for sh- like because i, mind, I it was do so believe explicit. it was deliberate and it was part of like a major marketing campaign for like a big brand it certainly seemed deliberate like and it, like the it was just like a, a lot of like for, you mentioned the like the the report the the sort of a, the legal brief about that like child pornography case that was on and then like the fact that like it's an ad featuring children and then like these sort of like coy thing, like holding so, like those two bear. things together. And there was something else as well, too. There was some other like reference, like a book in the background that like, you know, was. Oh, yeah. There was an artist to- book that and like all of the art is like very weird, like creepy Tony Podesta, like yeah, children so, like, like any, they're being abused kind of thing. Any given one of those things, maybe you could say like, oh, it's a coincidence or like whatever. But like all those things together, like it certainly seems deliberate. Like you'd have to kind of give them a lot of benefit of the doubt to say it's not deliberate. And it's so it's just like, yeah. And it almost makes you like go. Yeah, like go back over like some of the other stuff and be like, damn, like Yeah. And but, honestly, then when you look yeah. at like the the exploits of Genesis Peorage, you start to yeah. see like 
she was really the kind of uh, uh, one of the kind of you know she really provided this like edgelord template that is, yeah, is she still was a with us today. Of I, this kind of thing where like some people buy into it that it's just like you know it's just art it's just a way of being artistic that you like wink wink that you're like you know I don't know like sacrificing kids and like uh, doing like sex rituals or something yes and that's like you know what art is all about. And, like, people are like, well, that's just, like, part of being avant-garde is that, like, you, quote-unquote, pretend. Like, I was like, wait a minute. Like, yeah. this person... Wait, who decided? Yeah, it's like, who decided <laughs> like that? The, um, and also, yeah, it, it fits like, also... And also, like, they should be... Like, the whole idea of, like, this, you know, oh, it's just, it's just art. Like, it's kind of like, um... Can we at least look into this? Like they're kind of, you know. What does that say? I don't about, think we should like, just let them be and get away with this like cutesiness. I don't know. And well, they didn't totally get away with it, right? There were instances where they were like investigated for child abuse. Yeah, uh, Genesis right? had to basically flee the UK after they released like a psychic TV music video that I think had some kind of like mock, like child sacrifice in it. And so, like Scotland Yard, like raided his or her compound, and then. Uh, Genesis Peorge and their wife uh, essentially like fled and lived in the U S for the rest of their lives. Um, and mm-hmm. like never went back. And that was even used. It was something we've talked about a lot about like the weird kind of fake managed dialectic between like Ted Gunderson and like Michael Aquino where, you know, mm-hmm. or like these evangelicals and Michael Aquino, like Genesis Peorge very much played into that, did that kind of jujitsu move that Aquino did of being like, well, everybody that criticizes any alleged shitty thing that I do now is basically like a, you know, a fuddy-duddy, like, televangelist, like, who's just oh, doing a witch hunt, you know, and that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. then a lot of alternative culture type people, these, like, young Gen Xers that wanted to kind of belong to something, got kind of psyoped and, like, and hoodwinked by that. I just want to read a little from an old British article I found okay. by Fiona, mm-hmm. let's see, Fiona Russell Powell, who I guess knew Genesis Peorge back in, like, the late 70s, early 80s, and then was hired by this magazine to like go to a show and uh, reconnect with them like in the 2000s. But she had some interesting recollections. Overall, her opinion of Genesis Bjorg is like kind of a not not super high. But a couple things jumped out at me, especially in the category of like, LOL, it's ironic. So she writes mm-hmm. that um, this is back in like, you know, back in the day when they knew each other. She used to hang out at Genesis Bjorg's house. One day Jen announced he had something quote, interesting for me to watch. It turned out to be a gory, but entirely convincing (laughs) snuff movie. Fake, I discovered years later. (laughs) It wasn't? (laughs) Then there was a real- How did you discover that? Who told you? (laughs) Right? Like, 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 then there there was a real-time film of an execution by electric chair where smoke plumed up from the man's head and his eyeballs boiled. While these unwholesome vignettes played in the video, Genesis watched me watching them like a naughty schoolboy gleefully waiting for his maiden aunt to scream at the plastic spider. No stranger to shock tactics myself. I deliberately disappointed him, feigning a yawn. Um, so yeah, then she goes on. The Peorages mostly occupied the upper two floors of the house. The main room on the ground floor was used as their sexual playroom, which they called the nursery. It was cold and smelt of piss with whips, chains, and instruments of torture hanging off the walls. A coffin sat in the middle of the room and the prized possession, uh, watch out, Jimmy, 
was an old dentist chair, which Jen claimed had belonged to a dentist in the 50s who was jailed for raping his female clients. He offered us the privilege of use of this grim dungeon. When I told Mark about her boyfriend about the invitation, he snorted, not chuffing likely. I know the dirty (laughs) bastards drilled a hole in the ceiling so he can watch. Ew. Word, word. Thank um, you, Mark. Yeah. Uh, thank so you. Then she um, goes on to talk about the the cult, the anti-cult that Genesis founded to sort of support the band Psychic TV in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, so fans of Psychic TV were invited to join the Temple of, with a V, Psychic Youth for a fee. 23 was chosen as a sacred number following William Burroughs' discovery of the esoteric 23 Enigma Psychic TV are in the Guinness Book of Records for producing 23 albums in 23 months, all released on the 23rd day of that month. It was aimed primarily at disaffected youth, and its followers seemed to be mostly teenage boys at boarding school who were lonely, angry, and looking for a cause, and easy to manipulate. To be initiated, the wannabe psychic youth had to send in samples of his bodily fluids on the 23rd day of every month, blood, semen, saliva. Along with these, they had to write down in detail their masturbatory fantasies while being solemnly assured that these would never be opened or read, instead being placed in a vault for posterity. I saw with my own eyes what happened to those spotty youth's naive outpourings of their newly dawning sexual yearnings. Genesis and Paula, his wife, opened them, read them aloud, pissed themselves laughing, then invited the boy whose photo they found most appealing to stay with them. Paula seduced him while Jen watched. It's one way to keep a marriage going, I suppose. After witnessing all that, no wonder at home with the Peorages was firmly burned into my memory. So, yeah, like, and then she says at the end, I mean, she goes to meet Genesis Peorage, and then they act like, they're like, do you remember me? And she is like, I've met 350,000 people in my lifetime. Why would I remember you? And was just like really mean. And then eventually was like, you know, she said something like, I'm a little disappointed that like you don't remember me. And then Genesis George was like, well, then fuck off then. I'm not going to like no interview. And then just like left. And so she was a little bummed out by that. And she says at the very end of this article, which I think is kind of telling, um, some days later, because, you know, she talks about like he he back then he used to invite me over and show me what he said were snuff films. And shit. And like, blah, yeah. blah, blah. So uh, some days later, someone pointed out to me that if watching snuff movies and exploiting teenage boys was such an everyday occurrence in the Peorage household that he had forgotten it, perhaps Hackney Social Services did have a reason to be worried all those years ago. So that's the, that's who raided his house. And I think they found a bunch of like Nazi memorabilia and like weird like BDSM torture shit all over the place and no actual like pedophilic content but I mean uh, like was did that you see this film Pop freak? Matters article yeah uh, I did that was pretty yeah, good too yeah because that was after right. Genesis Peorge also got me tooed in 2018 by their former girlfriend and bandmate God what was her name it's like. Tootie Fruity or something. Fanny Tootie something. Oh, Fanny Tootie. Yeah, you're right. Cozy Fanny Tootie. Cozy Fanny Tootie. Yeah. And so she wrote in her book that basically- Life-threatening abuse. Yeah, yeah. life-threatening abuse. Like through, she was like sunbathing by the pool one day and he, he threw a cinder block like from the balcony to try to like crush her head and like barely missed and like would beat her all the time. And basically, I mean, the gist of it is like, 
the the temple of psychic youth in addition to being like this sicko thing that he used to like bring in teenage boys to cuck him while he watched like and all this shit um he ran it like a cult like it actually yeah. became a real cult like right with, like was, that's the thing it started out as like an ironic cult but actually it just became a fucking cult yeah like yeah and that like this is the the part of like that article that I find to be, you know, uh, he even says like the temple of psychic or sorry, the temple of psychic youth and Genesis P. George's knowing adoption of cult iconography quickly slid from satiric emulation to full embrace. And we all went along with it. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is a, a good part. Topi's imprint, named Temple Second Youth, and Peorge's magnetic yet fraught leadership are now so lionized by a wide gamut of tastemakers, primarily music journalists, but also academics. Examples of Reese's adulatory coverage include museum exhibitions, edited volumes, documentaries, as well as dozens of web and print pieces. Music genres such as Witch House and Labels, uh, such as Sacred Bones and Dyes. Mm-hmm. Inspired by uh, The Temple and Psychic TV's occultized aesthetics, show the far-reaching influence of their mystique. The current conversation, a slow-burn hagiography through and through, frames Topi as a tongue-in-cheek, self-aware anti-cult, half-esoteric art project, half-culture-jamming prankster pagans who struck fear in the hearts of the Thatcher and Reagan regimes through a parody of Radical Youth Crusade. (laughs) But the primary sources, many long available for those willing to look and others now just surfacing, reveal the temple to have been far from puckish liberators. (laughs) Topi and Peorge's knowing adoption of cult iconography and organizing principles quickly slid from, you know, as I said, uh, steric emulation to full embrace, and many temple apostates describe years of escalating exploitation. A grower with a sycophantic following, the systemic breakdown of individuality and autonomy, rigid hierarchies, disciplinary regimens, and incessant bullying, preying on the suggestible and the vulnerable, explosive tyrannical outbursts, and the appropriation of others' creative voices and ideas. And he says this is how, like, he goes on to talk about how it thrives so long, despite insider knowledge of the grave harms. And he says... This is interesting. Oh, maybe the author's not a he. But anyway, like uh, the author says, first, to distract from rumors of misconduct, they have been conning music journalists into laying the groundwork for the temple's exaltation and showcasing, quote unquote, satanic panic child abuse allegations as a straw man. Mm -hmm. Second, to dodge accountability, they have been masquerading as consummate scene mouthpieces and sentinels while practicing a style of control based on hijacking our aspirational subculture politics. And third, to deflect accusations, they have been utilizing Topi's ironic visage so modern fandom conflates their past violations with the same empty grandstanding of today's digital age iconoclasts. So it's very much something we've described many, many times in the show, Mm -hmm. uh, which is like the way that this sort of like, look at me, I'm satanic, like thing is like, oh, ha ha. Like there, you know, like, and, and people are like, wait a minute, this guy is like uh, sus or sicko or whatever. And you're like, uh, they're being ironic. Like, what are you some kind of evangelical Christian scared of the devil? And it's like, no, look, they're like, you know, doing all this fucked up stuff. And it's yep. like, <laughs> yep. obviously, you've never heard of satire or symbolism before. Yeah, I like, literally yeah. saw the satanic temple was like in the news again in the last week or two. And it's like there's a script that every single dumb news outlet like follows with them. And it's like. The Satanic Temple, you'd be surprised to know, actually doesn't worship Satan. They're just cool atheists that believe in free speech. And, like, you know, it's like, 
Wow, I like your like cool. sixty minutes like or like local news report voice. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, but it's like every interview is uh, like that. Did you know they don't actually worship a literal devil? Yeah, Fuck exactly. Off. Like bring back Geraldo. I'm sick of this shit. Yeah, and meanwhile, this is like sicko. Yeah. Fuck Doug Masicko. Like literally, the sicko is in his last name, um, mm-hmm. and he's Ukrainian. <clears throat> um, uh, draw from that mm-hmm. one, you will. But that's w- a wonder what you know. His uh, yeah, did. I usually don't like you know uh, go too far into the put myself out there too far with some of these theories. But do you remember this is a digression? But I don't think we've talked about it on the show, and I've suspected it for a while. Uh, do you remember that uh, arson attempt at the Satanic Temple, uh, where like a very ineffectual fire was lit on their? Uh, on their stoop in Salem uh, by a man wearing a t-shirt that read simply God. I don't remember that, but go on. Uh, well, Lucian Greaves hemmed and hawed about it quite a lot. Okay. And I did find it interesting that, uh, you know, I did, like, when it first happened, I was like, he kind of, like, you know, he was wearing this shirt that just said God on it. He lit the thing on fire, then he just stood around waiting to be arrested. And then when he arrested, said, this was a hate crime. So I was like, huh, mm. you know... I mean, like, you know, not like saying anything, not implying anything, but it wouldn't hurt to look at this guy's uh, Facebook. So, you know, I went and I looked around and it took me a little while, but I did eventually find it. It's gone now. Mm -hmm. But it had, you know, like it was not the Facebook of like an evangelical or like, you know, a uh, like a a passionate Christian, which is what Lucian Greaves portrayed him as being. You know, he was like a metalhead. Um, and he had like a lot of pentagram. He was into that stuff actually. (sighs) And in fact, he had previous arrests for things that, uh, you would not, which again, were not really reported in the coverage of this incident, which was like widely covered and like Lucian Greaves hemmed and hawed about, um, even though nothing happened, you know, previous arrests you wouldn't associate with kind of like this MAGA closed-minded Christian. In fact, he was uh, previously arrested for uh, assaulting a police officer during a protest. (laughs) <laughs> um Antifa. no yeah um, well you know you'd like not really the politics that you was, you know i'm not saying that yeah, i mean it yeah, would be, exactly. in fact actually no uh there's even one even worse he was previously arrested or he like you know got in legal trouble for burning a church or uh trying to let a church on fire as wow. well wow and you know wow. he might just be an unstable guy violent. you know who like is you know just know. Uh, violent and like lashing out but uh certainly the narrative uh that uh lucian spun was oh, uh, yeah, didn't really yeah. line up with the facts, and also I'm just thinking, mm, those <laughs> false flags, false flags. Uh, mm, yeah, it was very theatrical wearing the the god t shirt and then saying this is the hate, but anyway, uh, and you know, but of course, probably not true because you know, when is the satanic temple, uh, bit like you know, put on theatrical stunts for attention, uh, you know, like so, yeah, obviously, yeah, couldn't be anything and... like that because it's just not part of their MO to you know create these sort of uh, staged events to draw attention to themselves no for sure um, for sure yeah i actually like we got about 20 minutes left here oh yeah okay i think right, maybe yeah. merging these questions because i think we have more to say about genesis but i think it might be good actually to bring in the final question here because uh, it does connect from the flea they wrote can somebody do the connection between humor fascism and the occult Almost nothing is funnier to me than a 4chan thread, but there is a darkness that goes beyond the toxic irony meme that libs say. If a tragic reactionary conception of human nature places irony in an essential position, where humor is the most true thing because life is inherently tragic or ironic, as all humor is just irony, expecting one thing and getting another, and not only that, but giving a positive value to being constantly tricked, 
shown to be stupid, et cetera, that it's funny and this is almost innately pleasing for some reason, then that undermines rationality. So in a rational society, there would be no humor. And occultism is similar, but humor almost seems more occult than any of that silly stuff. Even podcasts like SJ are mostly funny because of the fascist occultist characters they profile. And those characters themselves almost seem like they're doing it to be funny. And then just tacking on here uh, by Hieronymus Hierophantus replied, whoa, new thought, edgy humor is a psyop, inculcating the masses with sadism as to more easily instill the us versus them tribalism othering effect and make us more easily baited into going to war for the capitalist class. Has this been officially SJ questioned yet? Is it time? Is there value in this discussion? Well, yes, I think Mm. there is. And it actually circles back. I think Genesis Peorage and the kind of a vibe, (laughs) the counterculture vibe that grew up around her and um, almost like, you know, lives on as like a template, I think really does exist at this intersection between like humor, fascism and the occult, literally. Like, I mean, I definitely think that there's like, I mean, we've talked about many times, like the connection between like clowning and uh, the occult and like, you know, the true uh, theater and ritual and that type of thing. And I do think that there is like a bit of a, an archaeology to this and that like, you know, if you look at like the plays of Plautus or like any or Terence or like any, you know, uh, pre-modern or uh, antique comedian, it's always like a you know, the humor comes from like violence and like, you know, sometimes very cruel stereotypes about marginal people in many cases. So like that is definitely something that's, you know, I feel like has been the case for for a while. I also think uh, that it's definitely true that like the the irony is kind of like it's interesting to consider also like the the history of the concept of irony. I mean, I'm just going off of like the dome in terms of what I remember from having studied <laughs> classics in undergrad. But Me I remember too. that Aaron in Greek is like liar originally. <laughs> and like the meaning of this mm. like sort of ch- changed over time. But it was like an accusation that was like leveled at Socrates that he would lie. And his supporters kind of wanted to ch- like sort of change the meaning. Like his uh, his followers, his students wanted to change the meaning to mean like, well, he doesn't lie he uses like fictional examples or uh, you know false ideas to illustrate true things, uh-huh. and yeah, but it was like kind of a lies. contested issue where like his critics would just be like, "He's lying," <laughs> um, you know. But yeah, wow. so hmm. well, the Pop Matters essay about Genesis has a section near the end uh, of lists the tactics, the toxic Mm -hmm. tactics of psychic TV. Tactic number three is weaponizing irony. I just want to read a little bit of that. They write that uh, the temple of psychic use third tactic involves weaponizing irony to deflect abuse allegations. The temple's aesthetic designs, organizing principles and quasi spiritual tenets all occupied a liminal zone of esoteric strangeness and pop culture remix where for outsiders looking in, the line between glib satire and true belief, or mass delusion, remained intentionally blurry. This wavering off-kilter visage fronted their public pretensions, and by offering explanations to journalists and fans that always hedge in a strategic manner, one rumor of coercion after another seemed to wash away. Peorage and the Ratio 5, um, that was like the inner council of... Uh, T-O-P-Y, became masters, the ratio lords, right? Became masters of projecting plausible deniability and in turn camouflaging their exploitative tendencies. 
TOPY's calculated irony is even more powerful today thanks to the proliferation of internet edgelords and the numbing effect of their caustic antics. This dynamic is exceptionally pronounced throughout the gloom-laced music subcultures where the temple is most celebrated. Present-day journalists and fans not only misread reports of the Temple of Psychic Youth's injuries as equivalent to the casual objection or debauchery of social media melodrama, but actually ogle the temple's disciplinary machine and the abuse itself as hip and fashionably contrarian, even seductive. One such example is the nonchalant repetition of anti-cult, Peorage's preferred tagline for the Temple of Psychic Youth, as if the temple were some risque anti-hero in the cinematic imagination. Indeed, they depict T.O.P.Y.'s wrongdoing as just a rarefied vintage version of the same subversive grandstanding we're all familiar with, let's say during a black metal press junket, and then sugarcoat these exploitations by granting the presumption of parody. What's the big deal, they imply, if Peorage's game plan relies on playing footsie with autocratic and authoritarian tendencies, not unlike the right-wingers T.O.P.Y. claims to oppose, consequently a functional cult with a documented track record of dehumanization, brainwashing, bullying, and other torments, is being portrayed as a quirky experiment into the outer reaches of iconoclasm. And when brief mention is made of T.O.P.Y.'s harms, characterized as missteps of exuberance, if anything, the horrific reality of cult entrapment is glossed over or reconciled because T.O.P.Y. and Peorage were always on our team, in the trenches alongside us. Tribal us-versus-them thinking in subculture politics demands that we excuse or even defend their extreme approach as a necessary evil against the ascendant right wing of the 1980s, just as many rationalized drastic reprisals against reactionary forces today. But like, tin, but like most tin pot insurrections, T.O.P.Y. invariably began to devour their own. So yeah, very uh, good good insights right there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they really go in hard on like the complicity of everybody getting basically hoodwinked or yeah. you know psyoped by these like abusers, like the, ex- the who are the, really the exact same thing that they purported to fight against. You know, which in yeah. a way tracks with his heroes, uh, William S. Burroughs and uh, Byron Geisen. You know, who was a big Burroughs mm-hmm. pal, and Aleister Crowley, his other hero, who he, yes. he stole a lot of shit Very from. Very similar, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I'll just read the, the last paragraph. That sure. They say there's a final dimension of this predicament to consider, one with far more to say about us than about anything Purage and H slash er coterie did or did Hmm. not do namely t-o-p-y is protected from any kind of serious call out because we're already in too deep as a music community and we stand to lose too much if we cut the origin Mm -hmm. the temple's narrative legacy adrift i say this because the seismic impact of a call out campaign disrupts not just abuser privileges and not just apologist indignation it also unsettles in an, an amorphous and insidious power dynamic a scene's unspoken groupthink, invested in protecting the sacred cows and hallowed stories that echo back Mm. the shared beliefs, identifiers, and bonds of the subculture itself. Among darker, extreme music aficionados, this is the fictive glue explaining why we are all in this dark, dank venue together, drinking overpriced beer (laughs) with a rotating cast of patches and pins on our battle jackets. Invariably, these origin myths coalesce around, or are drummed up by, one or several artistic figureheads Heads, whose compelling biography, astounding feats of stagecraft, or creative gifts from realms beyond our ken jumpstart the scene and inscribe how it unfurls. From realms? 
Ooh. From realms beyond From our realms can. realms are beyond our can. Uh, all right. So yeah, mm. when you get a a toxic aggrandizer as the sort of a focal point of an entire scene, you know, they can have a very powerful influence. I mean, it's just kind of, I, I don't know, what do you think about Genesis Peorg sort of not getting, like, getting lifted up is it is it just the the sicko times we're living in or yeah it's interesting i think yeah i think that that article probably got the gist of it like pretty well that there's like a certain investment and that like yeah i think that there's like so many people who are similar Mm -hmm. and that it's sort of uh been assimilated by like the broader culture like the style of pure which as you said has certain precedents like has been assimilated by the culture too much that it opens up a can of worms because if you sort of suggest that like and it's it's different like it's not like a slippery slope of like saying you know oh this like you know this person who did this bad thing had this quality like you know for instance we were talking earlier like someone who's bad is buddhist or something doesn't mean all buddhists are bad Mm -hmm. however if someone who did something bad was constantly talking, quote unquote, ironically about how they were raping and killing children, then that does kind of, to me, open up the can of worms of like, hey, maybe people who ironically take on that role, like, it's a red flag. And yeah. I don't think people want to raise that red flag, you know, for, no, what, they like, don't. for whatever they reason. They really don't. And like, there, there's a sacred aura around the ironic. They want to protect that, like, Omerta. You know, um, well, it's just it actually reminds me of uh, kind of going back to earlier talking about Matt Taibbi and how every time he does something that now that like pisses off liberals, it's the only time they'll bring it up. But they bring up like the exile book that he wrote with Mark Ames and the quote unquote humor in it, not to be too much of a, you know, (laughs) a skull, a hall monitor scold, but I read it and I'm like, woke Dimitri. Yeah. First he fucking posted his COVID card and now (laughs) he's being woke. But um, no, like if you read the quote unquote jokes that they were telling, like throughout this book about yeah. like raping 15 year olds and like how he, like Mark Ames is going to throw his girlfriend down the stairs because she's pregnant and won't have an abortion. And just like, and also just like dumb, like not very funny, like meathead, like it's funny when I slap your ass in the office. <laughs> like it's like the yeah. dumbest, like kind of like South Park era humor and mm-hmm. like reveling in being a sicko, like a sicko American and stuff. And but like there's people that, you know, like Yasha Levine will still go to bat for it. Mark Ames will say, like, it was just ironic. It was just ironic. And there's a lot of people yeah. that like jump to their defense of like, you guys don't understand humor. And I don't know. There's just like I feel like there has to be um, like, you know some limit to like the like the amount of sicko joking i get that i get that our culture was like really fucked up in like the year the early 2000s like i get it that uh-huh, like yes. all kinds of shit people were saying that was on tv i all mean the it time. would be like, one thing if he was like i apologize for saying that shit or whatever but it like to say like oh like you don't understand humor or symbolism or what like that's different you know, I think he does uh, a rote kind of, I regret making these jokes, but they're just jokes. None of that ever really happened. And it's obvious that it never really happened. And I guess maybe that gets to your point of like, nah, at a certain point, dude, like it stops being so obvious yeah. that it never happened because like, just like exactly, Genesis Bjorg, yeah. like showing snuff films and shit. It's like, um, uh, like, where did you get this highly realistic 
snuff film <laughs> like you know this is like and and you're like you love showing it to people and but then of course you can at every turn you can spin it off into something ironic where it's like oh well, he's just being an edge lord he just wants to get a rise out of you you know i can't believe you fell for it you know like he mm-hmm. like somehow if you're offended by that he wins and it's like no no you lose because you're fucking disgusting and sick and also just like yeah the red flags like kind of all uh around every aspect of uh, like his sort of a uh, you know artistic his or her artistic identity luring in teenage boys to like have your wife fuck them in front of you like this is a lot of there, there's a lot of smoke there and i think at a certain point I don't know. It's a, it's almost like such an easy slam dunk because I think the New York Times actually wrote like a glowing piece about Genesis Peorage like after, you know, uh, 2D whatever, her ex uh, wrote that memoir with all those allegations and they, they brushed it under the rug in it. I think Genesis quote was whatever, like whatever you got to do to sell a book. Whatever sells a book, yeah, sells, sells a, a book. book. Yeah, exactly. right. And like the New York Times these sick bourgeois fucks like at the New York times are just like, Oh, Genesis, you're so amazing. Like, yeah, you know, you're so that amazing. pop matters article quoted that paper magazine piece. That was like, unlike the cult that it was publicly accused of being the group consisted only of leaders and not followers. Oh my God. That pissed me off so much. Indeed. Cause Dan- yeah. Daniel Bentovnik quotes like an entire paragraph in his thing about that specific concept that there's no followers, only leaders. And if you actually read what Genesis Bjorge wrote, it's like psycho cult leadership. It's like, I don't want yeah. any disgusting, useless eating fucks who have nothing to contribute <laughs> or human scum <laughs> in my fucking organization. Yes. We only take leaders. Right. It's like fascist. Like it's crazy fascist shit. And yeah. but then the New York Times spins um, it into being like, he said they were only leaders. <laughs> yeah. Uh, indeed. <laughs> Uh, she, uh, S slash he found a sacred calling. Uh oh. Uh oh. I'm hearing some coughing. Wow. Oof. Are you all right? <coughs> oh, God. Too hyped. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, indeed, she found a sacred calling and the ability to express a type of love, both selfless and ultimately unconditional. Yes, the type of unconditional love where you throw a brick at your girlfriend's head, uh, nearly murdering her. Where you violently uh, beat them and also force her to have orgies with your friends. Like she, uh, like yes. Genesis did a lot of fucked up things and uh, also like bullied her into getting an abortion, just like Mark Ames. Uh, you know, allegedly, jokingly, LOL, not true. Um, but mm-hmm. like, it's that type of thing. And then, yeah. Curling like, pet cats against walls. Uh, awesome. Torturing cats. All right. Now, can we cancel Genesis now? Is it okay? Can we finally do, can um, we finally let go? You sound like a reactionary. You're obviously, I knew so, yeah. the subliminal jihad stuff would go the QAnon route. <laughs> so, talking well, about you know, Genesis it's like, so, That's the last straw. I can't believe like, I ever listened to this. Not trying to dunk um, on anybody in particular or anything like that. I get it that uh, industrial music is like, can be kind of cool sometimes that would undeniably has like fascist, like occult nazi vibes is definitely not fucking left wing like at all like just yeah i don't like it when people try to code these sicko counterculture freaks who are just like libertines yeah and like they and if you're attacking them like you're the fascist somehow yeah like like like, i don't want to humor these people when they do their super insincere left-wing laundering 
of like pseudo yeah. left wing laundering of whatever like disgusting snuff film, like piss dungeon, like LOL, I'm a pedophile <laughs> fucking subculture. Like, no thank you. And yes. if you look at it now, it's like, yeah, how how dangerous did the establishment was Genesis Peorage, the bourgeois art world and the New York Times and every other like institutional culture maker is like fawning all over them till the end of their life and elevating that. them. Yeah, I love the fake idea of like being quote unquote subversive. Like we really need to like do that's something that really needs to be reappraised is like our concept of what's subversive because like a lot of the stuff that gets held up as being the most subversive is in fact the least subversive and often like, yeah, like heavily institutionally or even in some cases state sponsored. I don't know of like the state sponsorship that Genesis Peorge may receive. I wouldn't be surprised if she could get some, honestly, like if she had some kind of any age grant at some point uh, or any. Actually, uh, she fell into a windfall in the 90s because she was hanging out with Rick Rubin at his studio and a mysterious fire started and she got like seriously burned and like sued like the record company and got like a million and a half dollars. Wow. Very weird. But yeah, no, and I think it, it it's a challenge. I think you you see it today with like people like defending like Balenciaga or whatever, and like you're defending this edge lordery as like this is real art. The woke scolds want to get rid of it, and I think maybe what you have to say because we are we're in the realm of vibes when we get into like kind of the art culture world that. I just don't think any of this shit is fucking cool. I think it's lame as fuck. Uh, yeah, exactly. I'm not, it's not valuable. even that I'm offended. I just think it's lame. Yeah. It's it's like so try hard and corny, like yes, and lazy. And oh wow, surprise! You're appealing to a bunch of sick wealth hoarders that are like invested in the art world. This like you know like a cultural capital flex. And some of them have like very disgusting, like exploitative desires that I think maybe in some cases are reflected in the artwork that they gravitate towards. Like, you know, there's a lot more people with like weird Tony Podesta art probably in their Manhattan townhouses than have like Mark Lombardi's like BCCI number two, like hanging on the wall. Um, And if they do, that's (laughs) probably like a satanic inversion, like irony thing because they killed him, you know. But like Mark Lombardi is fucking subversive. These fuck these people. Yeah, like, what's the theme and what's the joke? Like, the joke is, like, oh, like, this is, like, considered to be bad. <laughs> like, yes, thank you. Congratulations. Wow. Yeah, and um, you just keep pushing it and pushing it, and you're, yeah. like, obsessed with <laughs> like, Nazi iconography. Awesome. And, um, like, I think you could safely jettison it. Like, whatever, you can still listen to industrial yes. music. You can still it's listen to, to Genesis, like, but, like... yeah. Like, yes, I get it. Like, it's just like, but what is the value of this? Like, why do we, like, anyway, we did stop, but you get the point. Yeah. Like the Ford Foundation would like fucking bankroll Genesis Peorage, you know? This is not. I'm trying to see, we should stop, but I'm, <sighs> yeah. you know, we can start wrapping, you know, start winding down, but I'm just quickly looking up to see if Genesis Peorage ever got any government money. Um, or NGO money, I'm sure. Yeah. I think that fire is suspicious as they always are. Also, Rick Rubin, what are you doing hanging out with Genesis Peorage? Her group, Coombe, did get a grant from the Arts Council of Great Britain, but not for very much. And that was early on in her career. Genesis um, oh, probably yeah, had wealthy She was public funded. Uh, oh. She caused a debate in Parliament over the public funding of such events. That might have been also early on. Uh, but I guess, you know, she got her start that way. Yeah, but. Coombe was the group that would and have it's orgies It's not as bad as, like, you know. Yeah. yeah, there might be more. I'm just doing a cursory look. Anyway. Anyways, um, yeah. yeah. So, um, 
Yep. Psychic TV. Uh, extremely. Uh, I hate hate to burst anybody's bubble, but that's the SJ verdict. Genesis Pure yeah. is on like probably it's pretty unequivocal. Pretty up there in the highest here, like, shelf of suspense. Psycho, then yeah, yeah, not um, just not cool, not cool kids. You know, yeah, you don't have to stand. You definitely don't. All right, sicko. All right, well, we made it through everything today. We mm-hmm. might. We did. We might do one more, but we also have some. We have some cryptid business to get to. I think. At the turn of the new year, right? Oh, yeah. I have a certain... Mm-hmm, I have an itch for some cryptid action. Yeah, me too. It's uh, been a little while. An itch. No more gallons, pun intended. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, thank you to the Grotto once again for, you know, getting us uh, getting us on our high horses and talking shit. It's always appreciated. And uh, until next time, dear listener, stay vigilant. Cheers. You don't believe in war Well, what's that gun you do? And in the Jordan River